fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh, mercy! Five, four, three, two, one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mass and All Access podcast. Bobby Blanco, Paul Mancano, as always. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, why not go over to Facebook.com slash Mass and All Access and watch us because we are now video. Yeah. We're on video plat- uh, platforms now, Paul. And if you're not watching us right now, you don't know that Bobby is twerking. Twerk, I am twerk, twerk, dabbing twerk, twerk. constantly. I mean, this is this is content, visual content that needs to be consumed. You also need to clarify that you're actually finger dabbing. That's that's finger the, that's dabbing, the mass yeah. access way. That sounds dirty, but I assure you, it's not. That's not. Um, it's it's, 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 it's something I that it. I did not invent, but I popularized. So that's something that we can now spread to our visual audience. I can't bring that on the actual mass and all access show, right? right. But I can bring that on the podcast because there are different rules. That's what podcasts are for. That's we have what different rules. Are for. We have different rules. Big shout out to our interns behind the scenes, Brendan and Cam. They are running the cameras for us and all the all the fun music stuffs we have queued up. And um, uh, we have, this is something that we've been trying to do for a while. We've had the lack of manpower, but now that we have the manpower, um, yeah. hopefully we'll be able to post our video podcasts up on facebook.com slash mass and all access and yeah. um, our various YouTube pages as well. All right, Paul, this has been fun. Speaking of fun. <laughs> it's over. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much. Well, that, that's a fun part, um, talking about our new uh, additions to the podcast, but let's also talk about some fun baseball uh, things because the Nationals are playing fun baseball as, as of late. We talked about the Memorial Day weekend deadline in terms of let's see where they are come uh, the holiday weekend and, and determine whether or not this is a team that can turn things around and push forward toward a, uh, a pennant race, a playoff push, or if it's kind of a situation where they just don't have it in the cards this year. It's come and gone. Yeah. The Nationals are still well out of first place, but they've won five of the last six. How are you feeling right now with the Memorial Day weekend uh, pa- having passed? Yeah, I want to extend that deadline. Bob. Yeah, I want to push that deadline back. Um, we, 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 and I, I will say, I was a driving force behind setting that deadline Memorial Day weekend. You even wanted maybe even earlier. I, I was thinking. Well, I was going through last podcast all the guys they could sell off. Yeah, and uh, I might get some uh, angry hate mail for that. That's but, okay. Uh, it's, you know, that's what happens when you bring the takes. Look, me and Colin Cowherd were in the same exact category <laughs> right there. Um, For sure. But basically, we have to extend the deadline because this team is either ice cold or they are, right now, for the first time all year, scorching hot. Um, and, the, it, you know, it's not just over inferior opponents. They beat the Braves in a, a two-game sweep, and they walloped them. Um, I mean, as of a week ago, this team was just flat-out dead in the water, just totally gone. Um, nothing was working for this team. Obviously, that Brewer series wasn't working, and then just... Uh, oh, what? what? Oh, by God, that's Juan Soto's music! Soto, loud sound, deep left center. See you later! Grounded to third, they're going to come home. It's a high throw, safe! What a slide by Soto away from the catcher's mitt. He juked him. And he's going to hit one a mile. Happy anniversary. See you later. Number seven for Soto. It's a deep left center. Way back with a chance. And there it goes. 
I know nothing about wrestling, Bobby. Nothing. Neither do I. Absolutely nothing. But I know that that's something that comes from wrestling. All right. Um, and I've seen it on Twitter. I just love the phrase, by God, that's so-and-so's music. Uh, Juan Soto saved this season. For, at least for the meantime, for the week. He uh, saved the week. I mean, he's riding hot right now. He hit his ninth home run Wednesday night against the Braves to the nines. His ninth home run to make it, I think, 9 nothing, uh, yeah. And they're 14-4 walloping of, of the Braves. Um, but this is the Juan Soto. I love that highlight that we just played of him, the juke at home plate and, and sliding safe. Yeah. I mean, th- I, I tweeted out that that is the fun baseball that these young players, Juan Soto leading the charge, brings yeah. to this team, brings to this club. And it's that kind of stuff that the aggressiveness on the base paths. And we talked about, yes, okay, they're probably prone to injuries at time. Not injuries, excuse me, mistakes. But that's something you can live with if they're also playing well in other facets of the game. And with the energy that they bring, Juan Soto, Victor Robles, uh, Trey Turner when he's healthy out there, it's just that's the kind of baseball that we expected to watch this season. And Juan Soto is now leading that charge and playing hot right now. Well, we talked about on this podcast um, – the idea that, you know, they may have placed too much pressure on these young guys to start the year because they assumed maybe that Juan Soto and Victor Robles would be great immediately and would be able to lead the offense. Almost looking at, like, the Braves. Yeah, exactly. from last who, year. Who were ahead of schedule right. pretty much all, right. you know, uh, for last year. And they assumed, well, if those guys get cold and if those guys have their young, you know, rookie or second-year struggles— they have the veterans in the lineup to back them up, and the veterans have not for the most part. You have Jan Gomes, who's hitting under 240. Adam Eaton was doing pretty well, but he's still not a clutch hitter. He's still a leadoff hitter, so he's not going to be able to do much damage. His five homers this year, by the way, are all solo homers. He's hitting 204 with runners in scoring position. Adam Eaton kind of has, has put up okay stats in some respects, but I think a lot of them are hollow. Um, and so he hasn't done a whole lot to bolster that. I just think that there are a lot of ways the veterans could have stepped up to help out those young guys, and they haven't. And now we're seeing what happens when the young guys go above and beyond like they did, like Soto did last year, and like the Braves kind of formula has built out. Right, and the other thing about not even just performing, but like performing negatively, we talk about the veterans. We've mentioned this a couple times in this podcast. Adam Eaton in particular, the other night, you know, running into outs, getting picked off at first base, misplaying misplaying balls in the field. I mean, this is something that... You cannot expect young players to pick up the slack for veterans when the veterans are, yeah. you know, it's it's fine if they're just not, you know, producing, like, you know, hitting, not hitting for average. But, like, when they're giving away outs, both offensively and defensively, it's hard for the young guys to pick up that much slack, too. Right. You expected at least these veterans, these core veterans, Adam Eaton, um, you know, maybe except for Howie Kendrick, who's been on oh fire. Oh, my God. I, I want to talk later else, about like, how good he's been. Adam Eaton, Ryan Zimmerman, when he was playing um, – you know, the catching situation, uh, Brian Dozier at second base, you expected these guys to, yeah. all right, at least play bare minimum baseball, but now they're playing into the negatives, and th- that's just almost too much for these young guys to overcome, especially Definitely. when they have their own downfalls or mistake, rookie mistakes, quote-unquote rookie mistakes as well. Yeah, exactly. And Soto has shown you that he is still and still needs to be the focal point of the offense. Yeah. When he, when he, it's, it's often a cliche, like when this guy goes, the whole team goes. But with Juan Soto, he's played now 162 games in his career between last year and this year, and it's absolutely true. So I looked up how he does in wins as opposed to losses. He is a 361 hitter in wins and a 226 hitter in losses. He's got 21 homers in those 78 wins that he's been a part of. 
and just 10 homers in those 84 losses. He has 81 RBIs and wins and 26 in losses. And as mentioned, he play, he's played more losses than he has wins. Yeah. That is crazy. That's absolutely crazy to see. And, and, it, and it, usually a, a player hits better in, over a career, hits better in wins and losses. But that discrepancy is massive. And it shows you that he needs not only to hit well, he needs to drive in runs because he's one of the only ones doing it on this Nationals team. Right. Driving in runs. Right. And, and obviously, like, in wins... You know, it means you scored more runs than the opponent. Right. So and you, it, everybody hits well. Right. And, but yeah. yeah, the 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 wide range. I mean, in only you're, you're pointing out there's a uh, 14 game. No, not even a six game difference between the wins and the losses. But he has 11 more home runs and yeah, in less games. So it's like as as he goes, so do the Nationals. Yeah, exactly. And and look, you look at other t- guys on this team, Paul. Like talk about Anthony Rendon, how he should be an All Star candidate, and he, even though he doesn't want to go, but. <laughs> That's the most Anthony Rendon thing, too. So, like, he's like, <laughs> is there a way I can be elected and not have to go? I've never <laughs> seen somebody dislike baseball and be as good at so it. So good at it, yeah. yeah. Um, but, like, if you know, only. even him and, and guys like Trey Turner, yeah. um, when they're playing well, you know, how many, t- how many times have we seen Anthony Rendon play really well this season but during Nationals losing streaks? Like, yeah. he's the only offense, yet the Nationals still lose. Yeah. You know, it's not, you expect – all these great players to be able to, when they perform well, the team goes with them. It's not always the case. And and like you said, and, and with Juan Soto, the discrepancy is so large that it is, you know, he's the kind of the guy that's right. carrying this team. Bryce Harper couldn't even carry this team. And back in he 2015. Did. Yeah. yeah, yeah, true. During the MVP MVP. year, they couldn't, win the, true. they couldn't win the division. I mean, even Ryan Zimmerman in his comeback year in 2017, yeah. he wasn't necessarily carrying the team. I mean, he was probably one of their best players, but he wasn't necessarily carrying them. And, and so this... These stats with Juan Soto right now are pretty mind-boggling. Yeah, it just shows that for a young is, player too. Yeah, for a young like he shouldn't have to have this much twenty years old, yeah. which is a shame because you know that's that's the state of the the Nationals lineup right, right. now. Um, but the fact that he is in this past week shows that when he's on, not only is he one of the best hitters in baseball, but he's one of the most important as well. Um, and then I, I also want to get into Trey Turner because I'm I'm glad you brought him up in terms of. You know, he is somebody who can impact the game so much on the defensive side, even when his offense isn't there. Since he's come back, the offense hasn't really been there for him. He's hitting 270. We've noticed, you know, everybody has noticed he's swinging the bat with his index finger, which was his broken finger, off the bat. Yeah. And he said it's still not really bothering him, but it's not 100%. Right. It, it's at least, I think, affected him in the field. I think that is the clearest thing that we have noticed because you look at him the way, especially in that Brewer series, he was making plays and, and in the Marlin series, he, he was just like making plays that you don't see Trey Turner make on the negative side. Like he was throwing balls away. He was off target on some of his, his throws. He wasn't picking the, up the ball correctly. It was bizarre. And, and you wonder if that finger is still a factor for him. But then over the past two days, we have seen him make those plays. Yeah, he made a exactly. great play on, what it was, a Tuesday night at Turner Field. And then yesterday, he made one of his signatures, or Wednesday jump night, made signature jump throws across the, across the diamond, right on the money. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, is the finger just getting, getting more time to heal and relaxing? I, I think I'm more concerned about, well, I mean, fielding is, is big too, but like if you're not holding the bat with all... Ten fingers. Oh, you definitely lose some kind of power or right. something, or yeah. even just control the bat. I mean, he may not be able to place the ball the way he wants yeah. to put it. Um, I think he can get by in the field, getting the ball over to first base or whatever base he needs to. 
because I don't know the ball is more. I feel like you can. I mean, pitchers throw with like three or four fingers. I think he can muster it. But it's the, the index finger. That's the, I feel like you okay. know that's that probably controls. You know, like the spin. for the most part, yeah. yeah. But right. you wonder, you wonder if it's also so. This happens so often. It's like if it's in his head, right? In terms of like he, the ball's coming to him, and just like subconsciously, he's like, all right, I have to grab it quicker. Or I have to, I have to grab, put a certain kind of grip on the ball so that I. I mean, it's clear he's not a hundred percent. He's not playing. He's playing a little bit hurt. Yeah. Um, which is what he needs to do. <laughs> frankly, it's right. like the the lesser well, of two evils. Well, that might be my my counterpoint. But does he need to? I mean, they obviously are better with Trey Turner in the field playing every day but you know was it a case where they were playing so badly and they you know if he as right if he could play they had to bring him up and he may not have been 100 percent ready like if this team was in first place would they have rushed him back you probably know? not right no definitely so not. um it's you know it's kind of a tricky balance right now right. because you don't want him to strain himself even more no no. And then also when you're overcompensating, we talk about it overcompensating for something because you're not fully healthy, yeah. you could hurt something else. True. Um, I would be, a, I guess I would be a little bit more, con- you know, the hashtag I'm not a doctor. I guess I would be a little bit more concerned if it were like strained oblique or like hurt back or yeah. something that you feel uh, like can uh, re-aggravate. Right. I guess you can re-aggravate, like, you know. Like re-jam. Well, I, that's the other thing. Like what if you get hit by a pitch right there again and then yeah, we're just back true. to square one. True. Um, but yeah, I know. I understand. Like I, I, a, a muscle... A muscle like that is, I think, a little more you, dangerous of overcompensating than a yeah, bone. A right. bone, you know, there's no really, but, not, but it, you don't heal. But you expose yourself to injury every right. time you yeah, play yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, so but I, I get that. I hear what you're saying. I hear but, what you're saying. Um, I mean, I, I think it's clear that it, a slightly less than 100%, a 90 or whatever he is, 80%, Trey Turner is better than the alternative. I mean, I, I feel way more confident with an 80% Trey Turner than I do with a Wilmer Defoe at short within yeah. – um, we talked about Wilmer Defoe struggles too, and and with an mean, it is like, there's a reason yeah. Trey Turner is the starting shortstop, and he's an all-star caliber shortstop, and yeah, playing out there every day. It's just now it's getting to a point where his injuries seem to creep up every once in a while, except yeah. for maybe last year when he played all 162. Yeah, that was that was the clear outlier right. in his career. Right. Um. But and I think I will also wonder if there's part of it. Obviously, you know, a, a 162 game season is is pretty rare for these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it should affect his, um, like, how we view him. Right. But I think that going into the year, I heard a lot of national pundits were like, well, one of the keys to the season is whether Trey Turner can stay healthy the whole year. Because he has. And the truth is, besides that 162-game season, he hadn't played 100 games in a season. I think the most he'd played was 90 games in a mm-hmm. season before that. Because he's, he's suffered little nicks and dings in there uh, over his career. And granted, small sample size. But you also wonder if maybe him playing hurt right now is partially trying to shake the narrative of, you know, he's a little bit of an injury-ridden player. Yeah, that would be interesting as well. And and then you also wonder the I mean, and the the, the injury he's going through right now or recovering from is a, was a freak injury. Yeah, you know, yeah. hit by pitch. But you also wonder if that 162 last year, if that's a lot of wear and tear on a guy, especially a young guy like you said, having yeah. played 100 games before that season, how is his body going to react this season? Yeah, to to play, you know, once he gets to fully healthy, you know, let's let's hope that he can get to the All Star break without having a setback. Yeah, um, and we see his production increasing. Then he gets that time, right, and kind of resets, and then has a strong second half. Yeah, staying healthy and maybe not and getting a couple of days off. just because he can play one sixty two doesn't right. mean he has to. Yeah, right. Well, that's why, and that's why uh, I mean the All Star break is still a ways away, and that's why like it's concerning because. 
you know, he when when can you schedule a day off for this guy? You can't with the with the way because they're playing catch up. Yeah, and yeah. with the way that Brian Dozier is hitting, you you really, I mean, they are they are trying to use Dozier as sparingly as possible. I think, and he's starting to turn it around, but he's still a well below average hitter right now. Um, and his defense doesn't quite make up for it. So they're having to play Howie Kendrick a ton at second. I don't know if Howie Kendrick, ha- I mean, he has played short throughout his career, but let's be honest, he's suffered an Achilles tear. He's, he's still not as laterally quick as he used to be. So when can you schedule a day off for Trey Turner? You're still, what are they, still eight games below 500? Like they are still playing catch up, as you mentioned. Who, so would, like, be their, who would be their emergency shortstop yeah, right now? Exactly. It, it I mean, I think. Probably be Howie. Probably because then you and then you have to slot Matt Adams starting at first base. Yeah, because you know, and, and stick with Dozier at second. I yeah. mean, it's yeah, it's kind of dangerous territory right now when you think about the injuries and and, and guys who they're getting back, but now they really yeah. can't lose because again we're we're playing catch up yeah. here. They have nine and a half games out of first place. Um, we mentioned they're playing well right now, but so are the Phillies. The yeah. Phillies have won seven of the last ten. Yeah, so it's it's. Yeah, and it's, there's no room for error right now or injury. Now injuries are, you can't help. Yeah, but there's you really can't suffer a setback right yeah. now on, on, across the platform. And it's so different from last year because it, it started off the first few weeks of the season. It was like, oh, uh, this is going to be just like last year where we're just going to – it's going to be frustrating. We're going to wait for them to put all the pieces together. It's like, well, now <laughs> we – it's, you know, it's not like we're just kind of can be a little bit more patient just like, ah, oh, if they get everything together. It's like they got to get everything together right now. And if, you know, there are no Pyrrhic victories from now on. It yeah. is – you know, it's not like the, the offense has a great game, and you can. It's like no, they need wins. They they can't they they can't lose series. Yeah, they have to win two out of three, three out of four, as much as possible in order to play catch up. Right. Because as great a week as the Nationals had between the the two game sweep of the Braves and the great weekend, the Phillies had a great week as well. They're, they've won nine of their last twelve. Yeah, They're even more so beating the Cardinals at home. Mm-hmm. The the Nationals obviously had an awesome uh, fourteen to four was the final win last night. The Phillies beat the Cardinals by what eleven to four. Yeah. So and don't look now. Bryce Harper is starting to swing the bat well. Yeah. Um, which you know I know Nats fans love to say. Well, at least we didn't play Bryce Harper three hundred and thirty million. So that's a small silver lining. He didn't last year. I, you can't expect him to hit below two twenty all season. Yeah. Exactly. He didn't last year when he started off terribly. Yeah. It, it, it's it's bound to yeah. happen. He's bound to turn it around. But I I, I mean that lineup is with, even with even with him struggling the stack. Yeah. So you can't. Yeah. Well. I, my question for you, Bobby, is with now that you have this nice, nifty little two-game sweep of the Braves, which was just beautiful. Your first sweep of the season was two games. Yeah, true. Take what you can. Uh, but where do you think, I mean, do you, are the Braves uh, still, at this point, we said before the season that they were a legit and at least contender. In your mind, have they slipped a little bit from that? They're still over five hundred. Um, they're still right behind the Phillies. The, the good week put them, what, three and a half games back of the Phillies now? Yeah. Do you think that they are still kind of like, are they going to, by the season's end, are they going to be a wild card team? Are they going to overtake the Phillies? Or are they going to drop I, out of it? I, I think they're going to keep falling back. Um, we, we talked about it in our, our ser- season preview episode. You know, I, I just don't see the off season that they had playing out for the long term right. in terms of this full season. Like, I don't see this roster being able to play to the level of, what everyone else is going to be capable of playing out, meaning Philly, New York, and Washington in this division, late into the second half of the season. Uh, we saw last night their pitching got exposed. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it's an outlier, obviously, probably for Kevin Gosman, but still, I, I don't. No one on that starting rotation really scares me. 
you know, like. Well, I would say their their bullpen still is probably one of the best in the National Okay, League. but then how do you, you got to get to the bullpen yeah. without giving up nine runs yeah. like yeah, they did true. last night. Nobody, so. nobody is really having a good season of their starters except for Freed. And I, I see, and this was the first time the Nationals and Braves played this season, you know, the last week of May. Yeah. And so they still have 17 more games against each other the rest of the way. Yeah. I think the Braves have benefited from the Nats struggles, the Mets injuries and their struggles, and even at times the Phillies, you know, the Phillies are – have been the best team in this division, but even they've had their struggles at times too. And I yeah. think the Braves have benefited from that by being able to stay afloat and be right there in, the, in second place. Yeah. I don't just know how long they can float kind of like how the, I don't know. We didn't, the nationals didn't float very long last year. I think they are in kind of a different realm in some respects, however, because I think that um, you look at the, the pitching staff right now is not tops in the league, but they still have a couple guys there that are, a couple guys that are either just got to the bigs or are waiting to get to the bigs that are show have showed a lot of promise. So like if these guys don't work out, so like they have um, what's his name, Mike Soroka, mm-hmm. who's got like a one ERA, not pitching a ton of innings, has, has started eight games, which is a few fewer, but like started he's got a one ERA. Yeah. Um, and they have Tuki Toussaint, who's like their you know one of their top pitching prospects. So I think that the pitcher the pitching will be will still maintain a pretty good level. Um, and it just seems like when you feel like, okay, these guys have overperformed enough, they have another young guy to kind of replace them. So, like, the the rookie that they brought up this year, Sean Riley, or Austin Riley, rather, has been awesome for them. He's got seven homers in 14 games. So, it's like they I, – I, I wonder if the Braves kind of knew what we or, – or, I mean, they know their organization better than any. But, like, they were, you know, do, banking on the young talent – as much this year as they were last year. Yeah. Like they were, they were waiting for these guys to come up and like they were holding these cards in their hand. Like, all right, well, you know, you don't think we did enough to get veterans in the off season. Right. Well, we have still have one of the most stacked farm systems and these guys are ready to come in immediately. Kind of not fully. Yeah. Not showing off completely what they have. Interesting. Paul, I'm looking up at the standings right now. They're only seven and eight in their division. So they've played the fewest games of anybody in the division. And we've talked about how this division is going to beat up on itself in terms of the talent between one through four. And whoever can beat up on the Marlins will come away with it. Yeah. Uh, And how we also talked about, we, I don't know if a wild card team can emerge from this division because like we said that, yeah, because they play 19 times of the, all these good teams. The, the, maybe the Braves have benefited from not having too many division games just yet, and will that come and bite them yeah. later on the season when they, ha- you know, because the Nationals have yeah. played 30, the Mets have played over 30, the Phillies have played in the mid-20s or 26. So it's like, they've, and, and the, the Braves only played 15. Yeah. So the more they play against the division opponents and rivals, maybe the more that they kind of falter and, and kind of take some of those blows like the other teams have. Yeah, well, I think it's... Hilarious. I don't know if you saw what happened to the Mets last night, but uh, a late night game out in L.A. They were up by three. They were up it. by five heading into the bottom of the seventh. Uh, they were up by three heading into the bottom of the ninth. And then Edwin Diaz uh, blows that three run lead. They lose nine to eight. Wow. Um, so, look, I mean, the the Mets are the Mets. We said before the season that the Mets were going to Mets. I still think they're uh, still have the talent there to make a run yeah. in this division. I don't think count them out immediately, but I also think this goes along with the narrative that we've said all season, which is like, 
bullpen problems are ubiquitous this year yeah, in the yeah. league. And as bad as it's been for the Nats, other teams have had their struggles. Right. And, and maybe also going along with what we said a week or so ago, maybe this division isn't as good as we thought it was. Like in terms of they're all kind of – They're they're all slightly above average teams. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And b- because they're all in the same division, it seems like yeah. it's a tough division. But it's, you know, the, once they kind of drift outside of the East, it's yeah. – oh, they're actually not – Maybe except for the Phillies. The Phillies are playing really well. Yeah. And like you said, they beat up on the Cardinals, another strong team the other night. So, I don't know. It, it, the, how the East plays out, I, I, again, I, I'm, I'm shifting my mindset. So, I think this division is only going to send one to the, play, the postseason. Mm-hmm. And uh, whoever is able to, one, beat up on the Marlins, but two, turn their season around in terms of beating up on the rest of the division. Yeah is going to win the division. Well, so you brought up at the beginning of the podcast how the next series coming up, this weekend series for the Nats, is uh, the Cincinnati Reds. Right. Bottom dwellers they have been for um, in, in the NL Central for yep. the past what feels like decade. Mm-hmm. Um, they increased their talent. They got themselves a little Tanner Roark, got themselves a little Yasiel Puig. Uh, and Derek Dietrich. Derek Dietrich, who's been amazing, like out of nowhere. Cut by the Marlins yep. uh, at the end of the season. Wild that they, they've been able to I forgot who it was, but someone like put, put up like a list, of, a lineup of former Marlins, yeah. and like it was oh, like, it would the be, Marlins lineup that would have been. <laughs> the, the only thing that wouldn't have – I can't see them having like a ton of is like starting pitching. But if you look at like all the guys they cut and traded away between yeah. Stanton, Yelich, now Dietrich, yeah. uh, Ozuna. I mean, Real just Muto. A, Real Muto, an absolutely stacked team. Yeah. That's just hilarious. Well, thank thank God all those guys are gone. Um, but and outside of the division, outside of the yeah, NL East, yeah, yeah. except for Real Muto, a lot of them went to the NL Central. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the so the Reds, I think this is a better Reds team. It's it's not. They are still in in last place um, in the NL Central, but I think it's a it's a better Reds team, at least on paper, um, than the the Reds teams we've seen in the past what half decade. They're only four games below five hundred. I mean, yeah. that's better than the Nationals. Yeah, yeah, so sure. They have a better record than the Nationals right now. Yeah, and the Nats can't point at any other team and be like, "Oh, this is an easy win," because half the league might be looking at them and saying this is an easy win. Today. Right. Yeah. If the Nationals were in the NL Central, they'd be in last place. Yeah. Um, the only thing that's keeping them out of last place is the fact that the Marlins are one of, if not the worst team in baseball. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's again we talked about opportunity. This is another opportunity for them to come and beat a team that on paper they should be better than. And and the Nationals have had good success against the Reds of past couple of years. And in Cincinnati, remember they started last season off with a three game sweep of the Reds. Yeah, it was um, so sweet. And and that you know everyone was like, all right, this is gonna be a great start to the season. Let, let's go. So. You know, you've get. I believe Max is going this weekend. I believe Corbin's going this weekend. Those are two of your your studs. Your 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 three headed one of your three headed two of your three headed monster. They got Corbin Corbin on Friday, Fetty on Saturday as of now, and Scherzer on Sunday. Yeah. Fetty versus Roark on Saturday. Ooh, that's that'll interesting. be interesting. Roark, by the way, we've talked about how you know what what could have been potentially if they yeah. held on to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, 3.2 OER. Just casual. Geo, I think, has a slightly lower ER. Like I think he's closer to 3. Yeah. Yeah. Just casual. Just casual. Uh, but, okay, so that's setting up where you have two of your studs going against a, again, on paper, inferior opponent. Mm. Those are, you got to win two out of three. Yeah. That's not sweet. Yep, exactly. And, and like, got to start cutting down. And even, you know, to, in order to catch 
Atlanta and Philly in the division, you know, you, you win, yeah, win series is good and all, but you might have to start thinking sweeps. Like, yeah. if we get, if the Nationals get to Sunday having won the first two, with Max Scherzer on the mound, you have got to stop wasting Max Scherzer yeah. starts, and that has to be a three-game sweep. Yeah, exactly. And especially considering how deep Davey has been asking, well, not asking Scherzer because he loves to go deep into games, but <laughs> asking Corbin especially. Corbin has been throwing consistently over 100 pitches like every start, and he's been money. But especially considering how deep these guys are going into games, it becomes more and more incumbent upon the offense to back them up and to give them a win. Yeah. Because at that point, and then more and more incumbent on the bullpen to hold the lead, because it's like you're asked to do so much less than most teams. I mean, the, the bullpen, that's bullpen still has a, one, some of the fewest innings pitched all year. Yeah. And they still can't hold leads. So that and they have the largest ERA. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's like, how, how? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's why it's just like, if you don't, it, it's not enough. It, there are no Pyrrhic victories. There are no silver linings um, f- from now until the end of the season. Uh, speaking of that, this just came to mind last to me. Yeah. Going back to our conversation about the ridiculousness that is the saves rule, I believe. Oh, yeah. Uh, Kyle McGowan, after giving up a grand slam, <laughs> still er- yeah. and, and a final score of 14 to 4, still earned the save. And I think because he pitched the last three in- two or three innings. I think you have to pit. That's one of the ones where he pitched three innings. It's like, I what? think that's why it counts because he pitched three innings. Oh, yeah, exactly. But it was a 10 run game. I know. <laughs> I know. But he pitched three innings. Never have I ever or ever will understand the save. Rule. It's a yep, kind of a ridiculous uh, yeah. statistic there. Um, Almost as bad as the win and the loss. Yeah. Almost yeah, as bad. Yeah, Kyle McGowan, save number one, 14 to four. Almost Stunning. as bad as Max Scherzer having what one win technically two two. two wins two wins yeah. five two, <laughs> and he he uh, him and Steven Strasburg I think are one and two in yeah. the league in w- pitching war. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, also, I want to know because we're getting into All Star time. Obviously, you know, we I think we're at, on a later podcast talk about who to vote for and who deserves uh, of the starting lineup. But of these pitchers. I saw somebody that said they would send Strasburg and Scherzer, but not Corbin. Yeah. I think if you got to send those two, you got to send Corbin. Yeah, he's been. I think he's been better than and Strasburg has been really good. Um, and we're going to actually talk about that with uh, with a little uh, foolish baseball, a guy that we have a uh, did a little intro, a little interview about. He's a baseball YouTuber. Yep. Uh, but I think it real quick before we get to that, Bobby, I think you got to send Corbin. If you're going to send those two, yeah, but and, and well, we'll we'll talk about it. But for me, it's it, the the All Star Game. It's such a popularity contest, and and when when yeah, although the Patrick, rules are changed this year, right? Well, okay, so but ha, like I know players have more of a vote, right? So what I think is it's like an electoral college type thing. It's 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 weird. They they We've tally up the votes. Uh, not turn out too well. Yeah, <laughs> we have such a great history with that. Uh, I th- I don't know exactly how it works. I want to be able to, I don't want to butcher this, but basically the fan vote is not the entirety of it. It goes to then like a separate secondary, the finalists go to a, another vote and then it's okay. a whole thing. Oh, I, I was just going to yes, say, I think when you're Patrick Corbin, but you're sitting behind Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg, you're going to fall to the wayside. When was the last time? You might. I, you might. I guess I, th- it, he, I think he deserves to get us. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think especially, I mean, I don't know. All three of them are playing, so, are pitching so well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, if I, I agree with you though. If those two go, so does Patrick. Yeah, but I just I, you know, it might be hard for however the election process goes. It might be hard for them to send 
three starting pitchers from the same team. We've seen it before, I know, but it's like yeah. we we'll have to dive deeper into next next yeah. uh, when we talk about it next podcast and look at the stats and who else is pitching well. Yeah, Bobby. Um, before we get to the interview, real quick, uh, what's your Twitter handle? At Bobby underscore Blanco. If you're watching on Facebook or Mass Nationals, it's right there. Yeah, uh, I'm at Paul Mancano as well. Uh, we were able to talk to Foolish Baseball, who's a baseball YouTuber. Um, his name is his actual name is Bailey, yep. um, but basically he did a, a video on St- Steven Strasburg and uh, how he's done this year, how he did compared to his major league debut, yep. how, what we his expectations for his career, whether he's been above, below, or pretty much what we expected as a major league pitcher. Interesting interview. So take a listen to that foolish baseball. Now we're joined on the Masson All Access podcast by a great YouTuber. His name's Bailey, and the YouTube account he runs, Foolish Baseball, at FoolishBB on Twitter, and then on YouTube, Foolish Baseball. Bailey, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. I wanted to have you on here because you you do these very creative YouTube videos where um, they're, they're, they're starting to finally get a lot of traction because they're, like, they're video game-based, um, and, and you incorporate and tell stories about baseball in statistical and analytical ways while also making it look like a like 90s video game. Uh, and you did one recently on Steven Strasburg. How long, first off, how long do these things take you? Because yeah. it's like, this one was 16 minutes long, and it's jam-packed with info and graphics and stuff. Right. It's, I, I wish I could say, oh, it doesn't take that long, but it definitely does. <laughs> um, I think anywhere between... Uh, it's, I've never really timed myself, so I would guess around 30 to 40 hours of, of manpower. Well, that's, that's a long time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a long time. So you're cranking these out, what, a handful a week probably? Or like, how long did you work on this Strasburg one um, particularly? And, and how much, before you even get into the, the production of it, like the research in, in, in terms of the stats and stuff? Right. So right now I pump out an episode about once every two to three weeks. Um, nice. and then, yeah, and it's, it's a very, um, you know, the, the research process I've found takes a lot more time than you would think. Like I probably spend about half the time just like pouring over all the footage I could find of Strasburg, particularly, yeah. uh, this is, uh, this is a video about his debut, so I could find, I could do a lot of research on before that at San Diego state and even in high school. Yeah. And then, um, and then you have to put together the stat graphics and all the cool artwork you see. So there's original artwork in those videos. Um, nice. and then the, actually, once you get it on the editing table, that's actually the easiest part. Once you have all your, uh, material ready, uh, I can usually crank it out in, in a couple of days once I have everything prepared. Awesome. So why, why, why the bit, uh, bit, I guess, like, are, are you also a video yeah. game guy too, along with baseball or just, just, you find it aesthetically pleasing? I think it's, it's more so the latter. I'm, I'm 23 years old, so, um, I'm sort of harping back to an era of video game nostalgia that I myself <laughs> wasn't quite a part of. Right. Um, but um, I, for me, it was important that I, the video, YouTube videos I enjoy the most aren't just like informative. They're they're kind of like audiovisual experiences. Yeah, definitely. Um, and and I wanted to have a, a defined uh, aesthetic, and so that's what I decided to go with. Nice. Well, it it looks pretty awesome, and I love just like the little sound effects and everything. Let's get to your yeah. more recent one because that that relates to the Nationals. It's a great in depth look at Steven Strasburg, his debut, his major league debut, in which he struck out fourteen, and then kind of like how his career has gone, and and you leave kind of an open ended question of like 
whether he has lived up to the hype. Um, and, and I mean, you, it's interesting because we all know Strasburg as the number one overall pick, as the top prospect by far coming uh, out of San Diego State, and then gets picked number one. But we don't often know kind of like the backstory of like, well, he wasn't even a draft pick out of high school. He had a lot of problems with his game and wasn't very strong mentally, he said, um, with the game. But you kind of like found out all this stuff about, you know, who, who he was as a, as a high schooler and the, how that, uh, I guess, affects the narrative of him. Uh, and he's not just like the top prospect, the Bryce Harper, the, the guy who's always his whole life been seen as the guy, the number one pick. Right. I mean, and it's, it's interesting to think about what, you know, Bryce Harper would have been like at 17 versus Steven Strasburg at 17. And right. How, who would have seen that Harper was obviously the superstar in the making, but Strasburg was someone who obviously had, you know, limitless amounts of talent, but had to really work through things in order to cultivate that at San Diego State and to become the number one overall draft pick. So again, just, would that be your biggest takeaway from all your research into Strasburg's debut and in his career so far and and that he is kind of like still to be TBD in terms of how his career is going to end up and, and be a Hall of Famer or live up to that expectation? Yeah, so I, I took an interest in Strasburg um, in particular for this video because I had um, acquired him in fantasy baseball and uh, suddenly had a vested interest in Steven Strasburg's success for the first time since <laughs> nice. about 2010. Um, but I think my biggest takeaway was just being able to look at his numbers on a rate basis, which will, uh, is shown at the end of the video. He stacks up, um, pretty nicely in terms of ERA and, uh, strikeouts per nine innings and, and a lot of important rate stats, uh, with some of the other top pitchers of the last decade or so. And, and one, and some of those statistics he was sandwiched between like Scherzer and Kershaw. Yeah. And he's not really thought of that way because he hasn't been uh, a work workhorse pitcher. But I think my biggest part takeaway is that. When he has pitched, he, he's been like a, a Hall of Fame quality level of player. It's just that um, certain injuries and, and certain bumps in the road have prevented him from fully reaching uh, kind of what was promised unto us. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. And it's not, I feel like it's almost not like with other pitchers who may have to miss like a whole year if guys have like Tommy mm-hmm. John. It's just like little nicks and dings along the way, I feel like affect him. So like he's never had more than 15 wins in a season. He's never... He's been the top three in Cy Young voting once in his entire career. He's only been uh, a three-time All-Star. And it just feels like we've never seen a dominant season from Strasburg. And I feel like that kind of like a, a Cy Young-type season, if you win the Cy Young, like that puts you on the map. Um, Absolutely. And, and so it's like, I feel like it's almost a, you know, death by a thousand cuts as opposed to, um, you know, just like he had to miss one year and he's back. It's like he has something every year and that affects how we view him. Right, yeah. A, a pitcher who maybe is a good comparison right now is James Paxton the past few years. He's uh-huh. been extremely effective when he pitches, but just hasn't been able to put together, you know, a 180-inning, 180-inning, you know, 200-inning type season. So you, you haven't been able to see, like, that Cy Young caliber season. Yeah, exactly. Um, we saw Strasburg the other night. I don't mean to kind of uh, dabble down in your, your your team there, but he kind of he carved up the, the Braves, and now that's already his 12th start of the season. Um, we're, we're about to enter June. You know, I, I don't know how much you've been following him so far this season, but are you seeing a kind of maybe we can finally start seeing that first Cy Young caliber full season from Steven Strasburg? Right. Well, his um, 
his, his sort of his, uh, a lot of the indicators you would look at outside of ERA, his ERA is good, but he, his fielding independent pitching is also really good. His strikeout yeah. rate is really solid right now. Yeah. Um, and I think what's most exciting is that he's keeping pace with like Patrick Corbin in terms of innings pitched. And Patrick Corbin was a, a 200 inning guy last year. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's going to be, you know, once again, it's not a question of, you know, is Strasburg going to have like a good ERA and strike out a lot of dudes? Like, yeah, he probably will. But I mean, if he can maintain this for a whole season, which is a big ask for him, obviously, mm-hmm. I mean, he could definitely be in that conversation. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And you look at like, um, I think you mentioned in the video, like he could have this kind of like not a renaissance because he's he's always been there, but a mm-hmm. a late career bloomer. Like we saw it a, a little bit with Scherzer. Obviously, Scherzer was an all star when he was in Detroit, but it wasn't until he was thirty years old until he got to the Nationals that it was like, wow, this guy is a true ace, and he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. Um, it's it feels weird to say that now because it's like you know at, at the same time I'm like Steven Strasburg is still only 30 because he's been on this team for forever and been a major leaguer for forever but I feel like this kind of you know th- when you see a season like this um, obviously he does have a lot of mileage um, under his belt and all those injuries but like I feel like he might be opening the door for this kind of late career um, run that could change how we view him and view his entire career. I mean, I definitely think there's potential for that. And that's, you know, there's a lot of guys who are really good players in their 20s. And a lot of times those guys don't turn out to be really good players in their 30s and they sort of fall off the map and yeah. for, for one reason or another or injuries or they can't adjust their game to aging. But in Strasburg's case, you know, he there's, there's a lot of guys who have kind of made, you know, turned into, well, I don't really think this guy's a Hall of Famer to this guy's a first ballot Hall of Famer in their 30s. Adrian Beltre's a probably yeah. the most prime example of that I can think about in recent years. So, you know, at Strasburg, at only age 30, there's so much left to be written on his career, even though, like you said, he's been on the Nats for a long time. You feel like you have a good idea of what kind of level pitcher he is. But, uh, yeah, thankfully, Strasburg at age 30, and there is some wear and tear in terms of injuries, but mm-hmm. there's not that much wear and tear in terms of actual innings. True. So right. that could actually play into it positively. Yeah. And on that note, we can't have a Steven Strasburg conversation without touching on the infamous shutdown in 2012. You you referenced it in, in the video. How do you think that has affected his legacy? Because you even said, I think, in the video, like, we'll never talk about Steven Strasburg and not talk about 2012 and the shutdown and him not pitching in the playoffs and them the Nationals obviously losing Game 5 in a heartbreaking fashion. How has the shutdown affected Strasburg's legacy and uh, his career, do you think? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a very good question. It's difficult for me to know, like, I don't know from, like, a Nationals fan perspective, like, how much of that is put on Strasburg's shoulders. Yeah. You know, Strasburg's yeah, yeah. definitely a, a competitor, and as far as the management, um, the legacy of that, you know, continues well into the game today. That that yeah. that's a conversation that's going everywhere for young pitchers, particularly those that are maybe a year or two removed from Tommy John surgery, as, as Strasburg was. So, I think definitely like the Strasburg rules and the decision to shut him down in 2012 is is one that will remember Strasburg uh, for very much. Yeah, and something that you also mentioned in the video, which I you almost forget about because it feels like forever ago, is when he was a prospect and when he was coming out of college, what really stood out to him, you know, one of the great aspects of him that, you know, people looked at and said, this guy's a can't miss is his velocity. He was coming out of the gate and throwing a hundred miles per hour, which back in 2010, 2011, that was not unheard of, but that was um, pretty rare to see from a guy that young, especially. 
Um, you dug up some numbers about how his velocity has changed under over the years. What were some of the, the things that you you um, dug up statistically about his velocity ticking down, especially after um, the initial injury in 2010? Yeah, probably the most interesting one was that Strasburg threw, I believe, 68 innings uh, in 2010, his rookie season, before um, he suffered the uh, elbow injury that led to him getting Tommy John surgery. And in those 68 innings, he threw 23 pitches that were 100 miles per hour or faster. Wow. And then since he came back from that Tommy John surgery, he threw one, I believe it was in 2012. <laughs> That's wow. wild. So he's definitely lost a, a tick on his velocity there. But what's equally impressive is that he still has those nasty secondary pitches. He's still a pretty fast, still pretty hard uh, on his fastball right now, and he still gets strikeouts. So it's like he didn't need the 100-mile-per-hour fastball necessarily to be – um, the type of pitcher that he is now, but you know, it, it does make you ask what if. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of the storyline of his season in 2019 is that he hasn't had that velocity. His fastball has been kind of sitting in the mid to even low nineties, especially early on this season. And people were concerned, but like I mentioned earlier, he's actually having a really solid year. He's, he, and, and you mentioned the, in the video too, that he's actually off to a good uh, start and, and he's found a way to adjust his game because he was that blow blow you away with a hundred high nineties fastball and now it's he's got to use his secondary pitches and I, and I love the graphic you use in the video of kind of showing his velocity ranges and how his fastball was ranged in like the high nineties but then his changeup was in the low nineties and his curveball was in the mid eighties and where he can really change up um, how batters approach him because he can hit many different uh, velocities all from all over the place right and I think it's pretty telling that um, on his debut. Strasburg's fastest changeup was, I think, 91.9 right. miles per hour, yeah. and now that's kind of where his fastball is, yeah. you know? Yeah. And you also mentioned that sometimes the broadcasters mistake his changeups for fastballs. Yeah. <laughs> Are you, yeah, yeah I mean, when you see 90-plus on the radar gun, you, you start to make assumptions, and that works for 99% of pitchers, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and you look at Strasburg's legacy is still, you know, as you mentioned, very up in the air in terms of where he could go from here, and especially, like, in D.C., you look at he was the pitcher that was promised. Um, you know, he he the attendance on his first outing you, you mentioned is like eighteen thousand every day before that, and then he starts and they sell out all of a sudden. Then you had Bryce Harper who came along, it, pretty much on his heels, took the spotlight from him, became the the face of the franchise. Now he's gone. You still have Max Scherzer here, who is right now I would say the face of the team, but it feels like. Um, Strasburg's legacy might be it's almost like it's it, it's still not determined because he still has some weird contract things he's got an option at the end of this year option at the end of that uh, next year so it'll still determine I think uh, you know we'll see what he does and how long he stays with the Nationals but he he really kicked this thing off in DC like oh, before, you know they they obviously are having their struggles this year but the winning seasons that they've had in DC um, the really the growth of the franchise, it pretty much started with the, the game that you cover, which is his first game is when fans actually realize, all right, there's talent on this team. We have a team in D.C. that we can actually go see. And he was the one to kick this whole thing off. Right. I think, you know, I hope he'll be remembered for that in many ways because it's like he was, even if, you know, he was only briefly the face of the franchise, you know, until Harper's, you know, I mean, Harper's, the day Harper was drafted and Strasburg's debut are like a couple days apart, maybe, yeah. um, which is pretty interesting. But um, 
Strasburg definitely kicked off like an era of interest in Washington baseball that wasn't previously there because they were just uh, not a particularly impressive franchise when they first moved in 2005. And then in the 2010s, they've been, you know, one of the most winningest teams in baseball, at least in the regular season. Yeah. And then I also maybe would even argue that Strasburg was the, like you said, the pitcher, Mike Paul said the pitcher who was promised, but he maybe didn't even have a fair shot to be the face of the franchise because he had a great rookie year the same year Bryce Harper gets drafted and then he gets Tommy John. So he's out for 2011. Yeah. And then once 2012 right. comes, Bryce Harper makes his debut and kind of steals the show. Yeah. And then Max Scherzer comes along. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It always yeah. feels like he was playing second fiddle when he was supposed to be the head guy. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And I think the the Scherzer signing really cemented it. You know, yeah. the moment that Scherzer came to town and won that Cy Young, it was, Strasburg was no longer the most exciting pitcher on the team even. And he was supposed to be, you know, perhaps the most exciting pitcher in baseball based on what we saw that night in 2010. Exactly. Right. right. Um, I, I just wanted to get you on because I, I this, this video really kind of put me down in a rabbit hole in terms of thinking about his legacy because, you know, as, as mentioned, Stras, uh, Scherzer gets all the attention on the pitching side. The Nats' offense is under some heat, the bullpen. And Strasburg has been awesome this year. He's had a career year. He's got a whip under one um, and is actually pitched every, every time that he's been called upon. Knock on wood. And um, with his future in D.C. up in the air in the future, um, I think it's, it's fair to start asking those kind of questions of, where will he go from here and what is his legacy? So, Bailey, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast here. At FoolishBB, we can find you on Twitter. And then your YouTube page is just Foolish Baseball, correct? That's correct. Awesome. Well, keep pumping out those awesome videos because they're pretty awesome. If you haven't checked out his YouTube page, be sure to do so. He does all of baseball, not just nationals as well. So, uh, Bailey, thanks again for hopping on the podcast. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks for having me. 